The Gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6. We're beginning a series today looking at the different ways we describe and talk about Jesus. Uh, one thing you need to know about me in sermon series, I know how to start a sermon series. I never know how long it's going to go. So we're going to go a while and then we won't go anymore. But the, the question, I think, is some words we know, Jesus is Savior. But how, how about looking at Jesus as body, as sovereign, as dis disruptor, Jesus as lover, Jesus as magician, and Jesus as vagabond. Listen now for God's word. Jesus left that place and he came to his hometown <clears throat> and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to him, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deeds of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> you know, we all like change until we don't. Change can be a delightful disruption from the routine until that moment, and we all know it, when that change is not delightful anymore. A new baby is everything you always wanted, and then one night you're putting the kid to bed, and you realize you haven't been out of the house after 6 p.m. in months, and you, you wonder if the world is passing you by. In church, we can often lament, oh, when will that change? And then it does, and it's not what we expected. New pews, new pastor, new sound system. Not what we expected. You plan a vacation, you yearn for a break from the routine, and then, frankly, living out of a suitcase gets old, unfamiliar surroundings get draining, and we just want to sleep in our own beds again. We long for home. There is something in us that longs for us to change things a little, but always with a ready path back to the familiar. We should never take for granted the power of the known, the expected, the predictable. It's why we're drawn to the idea and the reality of home, and it's why the plight of someone who is homeless in Austin or anywhere is so devastating. 
It's devastating to families and individuals. It's devastating to, to body and to soul when someone does not have a home. This truth was reinforced in me, sometimes in unlikely ways. One time in the, D, the TV show Better Call Saul, uh, in one episode, the FBI was searching for a family who just embezzled $6 million from the government. Everyone was speculating where they might have gone with all this money. Did they go to Canada, to Mexico? Did they go to Europe, South America? Where might they be? It's a retired cop who finally said, I don't know why you're looking so far away. I was once on this job in Jersey, and a bookie disappeared right after the Super Bowl with millions of dollars in bets, and everyone thought he skipped town, pictured him on some beach in the Bahamas. Turns out he was exactly two doors down from his house, squatting in a foreclosed home. It's human nature to want to be close to home. Sure enough, that missing family with the millions they embezzled, camping in the woods less than five miles from their house. Home is a place we long to stay near. In Mark's gospel, Jesus returned to his hometown. It did not go well. He didn't get a ticker tape parade. He didn't get the street outside the synagogue named in his honor. They didn't see a savior. All they recognized was a carpenter. They didn't glimpse the son of God. They just saw the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters. They scoffed at Jesus and were hostile toward his word. And he departed his hometown amazed at their unbelief, and then he went among the villages teaching. Jesus left home. And from this point on in the gospel, he is never really in the same place for very long. Jesus became a vagabond. The gospels all agree on many things about the aspects of Jesus' life, and among them, Jesus lived the life of a wandering beggar. He had no job, no home, no favorite things with which he traveled. His hometown didn't understand his vagabond life. The thing is, very few people, including you and me, understand Jesus' vagabond life. Jesus is not what people expected, not just his neighbors or his family. Jesus is not what anyone expected. No one expected God to show up as a homeless man, unmarried, and unemployed. Another way to put this is, what do we do with our longing for stability when the God we worship is the God of change? What do we do with a Jesus who is always on the move, always surprising people, always living this vagabond life? People have always wanted to try to pin Jesus down. We praise him, we sing songs about him, we create works of art and study them for hundreds of years. We build great cathedrals and modest sanctuaries, all in the hopes of keeping Jesus standing still long enough to study him and figure him out, so then we can take that and fit it into our lives as, it are, as they already are. I think this is why specialty Bibles are so popular. Go into a bookstore in the religion section and look at all the different types of Bibles. Or go on Amazon and see the long list. There's the Bible for the working mom, the Bible for teens, 
the Leadership Bible, the Green Bible, the Confirmation Bible, the Bible for dads and the Bible for grads and scores more. Let's take it and make the Bible fit our situation. Who is Jesus for me? How can Jesus fit into my specific situation? This is why through all time, people have tried to forge a specialty Jesus. In Mark, it was hometown Jesus, fit into the expectations of his hometown. Or rabbi teacher Jesus, that's not too offensive. Or mentor to a ragged group of disciples Jesus. Throughout history, specialty Jesus has popped up in a lot of different places. Prosperity gospel Jesus took the blessings Jesus gives and turned it into a billboard for capitalism. But liberation gospel Jesus took the revolutionary words of Jesus and tried to turn Jesus into a billboard for socialism. Social gospel Jesus took the concern Jesus had for the lost and turned him into only a social worker. Moral gospel Jesus took Jesus' teachings of God's high expectations for how we live our lives and turned Jesus into some version of Dana Carvey's church lady. Contemplative monastic Jesus took the important moments in which Jesus drew away from the crowds for prayer and meditation and turned him into some mountaintop new age guru. There's a truth about who Jesus is in each of those, but they're all just slices of who he is. It's to whittle Jesus down so he can fit our whims, our preferences, and ignores the Jesus who is always on the go in ministry. One of the reasons I think Jesus did not stay in one place and just have people flock to him up on a mountain or sitting on some throne or by the riverbank where people could come and he would dispense wisdom every afternoon at two o'clock was that Jesus in both his message and his meaning had to be in constant motion in a world of great need. He didn't want to be pinned down. If we can keep Jesus in a fixed place, then we can be the ones who come and go. We'll dip in and get what we think we need from Jesus, but then we'll go on with our lives, and we'll come back when we think we need to get refilled. It all becomes about us and us keeping control of our lives. But if Jesus is constantly on the move, who knows where he'll show up next? Matt is a friend who grew up in a very small town, Idaho, in a mainline church. By the nature of the small town, everybody knew everyone, which means all the adults in church were always watching Matt and his brothers. If they were out late getting a soda at the corner store, his parents heard about it. If Matt took a girl to the movie on Saturday night, Matt and his parents heard about it on Sunday morning from the church folks. Accordingly, Matt's understanding of Jesus grew out of his experience of the lovely but over-functioning people in his childhood congregation. Well-meaning, but always watching. At 18, Matt left small town Idaho, and with it, that sort of Jesus he had grown up with, embodied in the watchful women and men of his church. He did not think about Jesus again for years, 
until graduate school when he met and fell in love with Kelly, who is a deeply committed Catholic. Kelly's uncle Timothy was a Jesuit priest, became a surprising friend of Matt's. Father Timothy worked for Jesuit refugee service, meeting the needs of those displaced throughout the world. Listening to his stories, Matt encountered a very different Jesus than the one he had left behind in small town Idaho. Still full of grace and love, but different. A bigger Jesus. But then a couple of years passed and Kelly broke up with Matt and Matt left that Jesus behind too. The next time Matt found himself face to face with Jesus was almost a decade later when his daughter was born. There were complications. They weren't sure whether his daughter would make it. In the hallway outside of NICU one afternoon, Matt overheard a grandmother praying for her grandson who is in the ICU and then praying for all the babies on the floor. She asked Jesus to bring healing and strength to the babies and to the parents. Overhearing that prayer put Matt on his own now 20-year delayed search for Jesus, the God who is big enough after all that time to find him in a hospital hallway years and years and years after he tried to leave him behind. We set Jesus down, thinking Jesus will always be where we leave him, but Jesus is always on the move. Do we want that kind of Jesus? Sometimes Jesus shows up when we least expect him in ways that cause us, I think, to have to recalibrate the settings of our lives. Heidi Newmark is a Lutheran pastor in the tough section of the Bronx. She tells a story about meeting a woman named Angie. Angie brought her son Tariq who is in elementary school, to the church so Tariq could go to the church's summer camp, mostly to get him out of the house for a couple of weeks. Newmark visited Angie to get to know her better and found that Angie was mired in depression caused by a deep-seated history of being abused and her struggles to live with HIV. Angie told Newmark she wanted Tariq to be baptized, so they started working on that. Bit by bit, Angie began to come out of her depression and came to worship and then to Bible study and then started volunteering in the church's homeless ministry. She also enrolled in a leadership preparation class, which the church had for people who wanted to become more involved. In the class, over time, each person had to prepare a paper and share it with the class that answered the question, why are you a Lutheran and what does Lutheran theology mean to you? One class, the person who was supposed to present couldn't be present at the last minute. The teacher asked if anyone had a paper prepared. Angie didn't have her paper, but she volunteered anyway. She got up and moved to the front of the class. She got a glass of water and set it in front of her and sat down. She slowly opened a Mary Kay jewelry case and took out a pink pouch that was filled with multicolored pills. She took out about 10 pills and swallowed them one by one by one by one in silence. When the last pill was swallowed, Angie stood up. 
That's my HIV medication, she said. I'm Lutheran because this church welcomed me as I am, an HIV-positive, recovering addict, child of God, filled with grace. Taking care of my health is part of my stewardship. Now, by God's grace, I want to live. I want to live for my son. I want to live for the people who are still out on the streets like I was. I want to live because Jesus lives in me and through me. It's not my body anymore. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to live. Jesus has this way of surprising us. Sometimes Jesus shows up in relationships with people who you can tell they're holy. But also Jesus shows up and God uses people we never dreamed God could use. Jesus shows up in our prayers and in our silence. He shows up in our small group meetings and our worship. Jesus also shows up in restaurants and in bars and in hospital hallways and in the parking lot outside of Taco Deli. Jesus is always on the move. He shows up even when we try to leave him behind. And then sometimes, painfully, Jesus does not show up, at least at the time or in the place or in the way we expect. Jesus sometimes moves from place to place in our lives in ways that are so hard to track and so difficult to follow. Craig Barnes, who's president of Princeton Seminary, tells of a conversation he had recently with a seminary student. Martha Tidwell sat before me, he says, wearing a blue pantsuit and a weary face. Four years ago, she left a high-paying job as an accountant, feeling the call of God confirmed by her church to come and be a pastor. Her husband, Ted, was supportive, quit his job as well. They sold their house at a loss and moved them and their family into seminary apartments. Three years later, Martha's graduated with honors, was ready to serve as a pastor. All she needed was a church, but after a year of application, she hasn't even gotten one interview. She started wondering if she should go get another accounting job. She was not tearful nor angry as she related this. Mostly she was just confused. Did she and her church miss how God was leading them? There are lots of stories, and I know they're in this room, where people get to live out their dream in a way God has shown them. But there are a lot of other stories also in this room, like Martha's that conclude with, oh, so that's not going to happen. Now what? That's such a simple question. That's such a radical question. Now what? Jesus went to his hometown. It did not go well. They didn't see a savior. They just saw a carpenter. They didn't recognize the son of God. They only saw the kid that was growing up. He left his home, and from that moment on, he never really had one place to lay his head from then on. And the very next verse says, Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. The disciples were turned into vagabonds too, the same kind of life in service of the living God. And caught up in that whirlwind, 
I'm sure the disciples found themselves looking around and looking at each other and looking at Jesus and probably daily saying, now what? Sometimes for us, for Martha, for the disciples, maybe our most faithful way of following Jesus is simply asking the question, now what? To ask Jesus, now what, recognizes that a future following Jesus is rarely predictable and is almost always in motion. It's a question that happens when our lives get disrupted. Now what does not assume the obvious answer? We so love Jesus to be where we expect Jesus to be. That's so much easier for us. We get very nervous. I, I think unsettled when Jesus isn't where we put him. We never like it when the presence of Jesus is not an automatic guarantee of stability. That wears us out. It frustrates us. And it leads us to exclaim, great, now what? Now what, God? Of course, there is one time we are really grateful Jesus was on the move. One time where his not being where we left him meant everything to us. We left him in his tomb on Good Friday. And on Easter morning, Jesus was nowhere where we expected him to be. On Easter, Jesus was on the move, and it saves our lives. And it almost leads us to believe that we should become vagabonds too. On Easter, Jesus is nowhere where we put him, nowhere we, where we expected him to be again. Thank God. Now what? 